0: Hey, Gretzky, you know what this is? A hair from your wife's tit? Try it from your thick skull. Forensics took it off a pair of contract killers we found dead this morning. Fishing for a confession with a phony hair, huh? That's an old one, boys. Come on, Green. (laughs) You know when I'll know you got my hair off a dead body, right? When I hear the jailhouse doors close behind me, girls. Okay, then you tell me what they told you. You think that these thugs were hired to kill Evelyn, is that it? I have no idea what you're talking about, Green. Wait, Green, how do you go from petty thug to contract killer? And if they were professional shooters like you say, they'd have never told us who they was working with anyway. Even if they got one hell of a ass whooping. (laughs) You think you're pretty cute, don't you? He does. Yeah, everybody's a smart guy until I bust him in the wait, mouth. Wait, 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 Man, hey! hey hold on, hold on. This what ain't what I'm here for. Hey, stop! Welcome to
1: part two of our Four Brothers episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP. That's our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, Alex, this is it. This is... October is always a special month because this is Mm -hmm. our anniversary month, but it's also the end of the patron takeover. So uh, there's a lot of special stuff going on on our patron, stuff that's not uh, the usual business. For example, (laughs) there is no bonus episode per se uh, this month because the bonus episode is going to be the patronis. Which mm-hmm. is the the award ceremony that we do for all the movies that we cover on our Patreon channel. So uh, if you've been a patron for a while, you know how that goes. If not, well, you're about to find out when, <laughs> when we post them at the end of the month. But it's basically a similar ceremony to what we do with uh, with the embryos on the main feed, except that it's a little the the, the awards are a little uh, different. It's it's a lot of fun. So. That is available to every single person that's a patron. That's available to all levels. That's on the ground floor. If you are a dollar patron on the Travoltis, you get access to the Patronis, and you get access to all the bonus episodes that we posted since we started the patron. So there's that. There's also the cutting room floor stuff, all the clips that don't make it to the main episodes that might be interesting. That's also available to all patrons, $1 and up. Now, if you want to contribute more and get more, then you kick it up to the Winonis tier or even further up, that gives you access to our pre-recording notes, gives you access to our quick video reviews. We have a new dual quick video review on the queue, Alex. Uh, And that is from patron Jordan Mans, who wants to talk about the original Planet of the Apes, which is a movie that's on his uh, top 100 movies of all time. There you go. Uh, I haven't seen it in forever. And I think that when I asked you, you said that you're not sure if you've seen it.
0: I know like all the famous scenes and shit. It's just like I can't for the life of me remember a time where I sat down and watched it start to finish. But I I, I probably would have watched it in college at some point. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it'll be a first time screening of sorts.
1: There you go. I, all I can tell you, patrons, is that there will definitely be at some point uh, a reference to the Dr. Sears song from The Simpsons.
0: Thank you. <laughs> well done.
1: It's one of the few Simpsons references that I always bring up. Uh, So that's QVRs for this month. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're playing, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
0: just some more recent uh, movie watchings we have discussed this before uh in reference but uh i recently rewatched the descendants that uh, i would like to do a bit of a deeper discussion on okay my thoughts I'm, on I'm that down. and then also uh recently rewatched my week with marilyn and uh it's okay so just
1: <laughs> your fascination with that movie cuz you bring it up from time to time and i'm like really that one with your boy, Oscar
0: winner. Oh, I- dude, that's part of it. That's why I'm looking forward to <laughs> dragging specific parts of that movie through the mud. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, just a review of some 2011 standouts in, in certain aspects uh, of the Descendants in my week with Marilyn and just my, my thoughts on those. Julio, what about yourself?
1: Alex, I was bracing myself for you to start with the horror stuff. Uh, but I guess it's I, I'm ahead of you this time.
0: Well, I'll do like I did last year. After the month's over, we'll do a recap oh, of everything I watched. Okay.
1: okay. Well, I'm not playing by those rules. This is uh, this is part of something else. I'm, I'm going to be guesting on uh, the Binge Movies podcast. And part of my homework is watching <sighs> watching the original Hellraiser and then the 2022 Hellraiser. And maybe I'll be able to fit in some other Hellraisers in between. I don't know that I need to, but now there's like part of me that was like, well, I watched the first one. I watched the most recent one. I kind of have to fill in the gaps. I don't know. I can promise you that this after hours we'll be talking about the first Hellraiser and the newest one, uh, which I know you've seen both of them because mm-hmm. I, I... One of
0: them's good and one of them's not.
1: <laughs> you, you told me about it when it happened. And then I saw your letterbox reviews as a as a reminder when I logged mine. So it should be an interesting uh, conversation because it's... Uh, you know, that's a huge blind spot when it comes to big horror franchises. And now I've, I've filled out a little bit of it. So that will be me, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2022. Alex will be a little more highbrow with The Descendants and my weekend, my week or weekend week, right? It's like a full week of shooting. My
0: week with Marilyn, yeah. Yeah,
1: my week with Marilyn. That's your after hours. And then, of course, there's all the other stuff that we talked about. All the special projects I got. I've been pitching the collections on the on the Patreon website. Now you have collections for the Roxena event. You have collections for Lohan. You have collections for the Summer Break trilogy. It's cool stuff that we're doing over there. So go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Look at our tiers and see if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements.
0: $1, $3, $5, and $10 are our respective tiers. Julio mentioned all the goods that you will find over there, uh, the series that we've done. Uh, So far, as I've been kind of cryptic about, there's some more to come, so stay tuned. And uh, yeah, to all of our current patrons, we love you all dearly. And uh, if you've been thinking about making the jump, you're definitely going to want to because there's, uh, in addition to all the greatness that's already there waiting for you, there's some interesting um, arcs and projects coming your way. So
1: You should make the jump like our newest patron, Alex. One Eddie Strait, somebody that has a a long history with the contrarians. And he he finally decided, you know what? Uh, Let's go see what this patron business is all about. Welcome, Eddie. I feel like we bring him up once every few episodes, Mm -hmm. either because of something that uh, we agree on with him or something that we disagree on. (laughs) But Eddie Strait is is a big part of a. just our lives, <laughs> pre-contrarians and post-contrarians. So, oh, yeah. a lot of fun to have him join. And uh, I can't wait to see what he makes us watch. Uh, look forward to that. So, be like Eddie. Join the Contrarian Supplements.
0: Exactly. If uh, a man of dignity and taste like Edwin Strait can make the jump, then you have no excuse. Uh, <laughs> Jesting aside, like I said, we love our patrons. And uh, look forward to any and all new ones that come our way, so... Now's the time.
1: And now is also the time, Alex, to uh, go avenge this lady that got shot.
0: Let's do it. Hey, Gretzky, you know what this is? A hair from your wife's tit? Julio, 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, 80% with the audience score of a much, much larger sample. It ain't perfect, but it's what we got. It's (laughs) four brothers.
1: That's the tagline for Mark. Wahlberg's filmography.
0: <laughs> God, he is perfect in this. Like that, is when he at perfect, the- Alex? I, well, I, I,
1: I, I fear a retread of our pain and gain discussion.
0: Well, hold on. He like his aura. And like the wardrobing for him is perfect, like that white trash shit, that Midwest white trash. Like when he's in that bowling alley and he's got like that beige faux leather jacket over like the football jersey that he's wearing with a hoodie underneath. I was just like, God, that is perfect. <laughs> he's got that greasy hair and the shitty five o'clock shadow. Uh, I mean, he's Mark Wahlberg, so you know what you get. And this spoiler right off the bat, this this ain't pain and gain, and. <laughs> And he ain't Daniel Lugo in this, but God damn, what a fun, fun movie. And I kind of just want to get right to it. So let's start with the the positive quotes that you were able to pull. This is a rotten movie, but, you know, it's it's right down the middle. It's batting 500 pretty much. So what uh, what were the positive quotes that you pulled for this?
1: The way that Rotten Tomatoes establishes hierarchy. <laughs> batting 500 is not good enough to get a fresh tomato, apparently. <laughs> uh But let's start with Eleanor Ringel Cater from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who says, Rough on tumble and sometimes raucously funny, four brothers can't decide if it wants to be a bloody revenge movie or a heartwarming family piece. So it settles on being a bit of both and the heck with smooth transitions. What's the problem? Yeah, I I, I I, ask you. (laughs) I think Eleanor is asking the same question. Do you have a problem with that? (laughs) Take it up with Singleton. Next, Chris Hewitt from St. Paul Pioneer Press says, Director John Singleton is a bit like an agile DJ who creates something exciting and illuminating out of pieces of old songs you already know. I really yeah. like that description.
0: Yeah, that's filmmaker,
1: excellent. Especially a filmmaker that's working with this kind of material. And It goes back to, you know, because Red's Corner, we always play it up and we, we're very tongue-in-cheek with most of the things we say. But the idea of not automatically shutting something down because it's a trope. I mean <laughs> that is something this this quote plays into that, right? It's like you can take tropes, make them exciting, and and justify why we celebrate those tropes or remind us of why we we turn them into tropes to begin with. So good on you, Chris Hewitt. Next, Peter Cavanese from Groucher Reviews says Call for Brothers a guilty pleasure. Singleton may go for easy laughs, but he gets them. The gut level jolts may be ridiculous, but he delivers them with style. Guilty pleasure, Alex?
0: No, I'd be fine defending this. Pleasure, pleasure. Yes, and again, it's going to come up because you and I were so glowing about Pain and Gain. Uh, I'm not going to yell it from the mountaintops like I would Pain and Gain, but like this movie, man, this is a, a damn good time.
1: Well, one more that may agree with you. Ty Burr from the Boston Globe. Brothers is a full, low-budget revenge thriller, pure and simple. There's nothing special about it, and that's what's refreshing. Is there nothing special about it? Is it that? uh, Because that makes it sound almost unremarkable.
0: So, is there a date on that review?
1: Uh, So, this is August 12th, 2005. So, I guess, opening weekend.
0: Yeah, contemporary. All right, so, that's fair then, and it is fair now also but with the near 20 years this movie has aged seeing Chiwetel f as like the really verbose loud uh loquacious bad guy is awesome and you know Sofia Vergara in this who wasn't as big of a name as she is now she's like a fucking bona fide a-lister now and Mark Wahlberg's only become and you know a bigger star since then for good and bad reasons and just the cast in general. Uh, Taraji P. Henson is a good example of someone whose star has just exploded since this movie mm-hmm. so that aspect of it, it you can think of of like man what, a, what an example of stars aligning at, at a period of time where all these things came together and they were able to pull this all off for 30 million dollars again Tyrese is a much bigger well known actor now at this point in terms of like massive franchises he had, was just dabbling so Yeah, the weekend this comes out, just like a fuck yeah movie with balls or whatever, you know, man expression you want to use. (laughs) It's a good time. But watching it 20 years later, for the reasons I said, there is something kind of extremely unique about this movie. And, you know, with Chuetal Ephaphore, you can look over his filmography and he made some more kind of, I mentioned Salt, and he's made some other He's in Doctor Strange, so popcorn movies, if you want to call him that. But he ain't really got him like this again. You know, he's clearly going for it and having a good time here. And uh, so, yeah, I stand by that. That review in real time, I understand it. But there's something very charming and unique about this movie and the way it's aged. It's also shot really well in a way that we don't see anymore.
1: Yeah, well... Yes, I mean I think it's shot well. I don't know that it's hard to compare. I I guess let's get the John Singleton aspect out of the way first just because it's the I I don't have much to say about it just because I am so unfamiliar with him as a filmmaker and mm-hmm. and I feel like <laughs> it, it, anything I say about John Singleton is really going to amount to like I guess I need to watch more of his stuff to just. I don't know. I don't know if this is John Singleton just having fun, you know, like like Tarantino doing Death Proof. It's like, oh, you know, it's like Tarantino, but it's not really. It's a Tarantino movie, but it's not really a Tarantino movie. It's like, what is for brothers? Is it, uh, there were a lot of quotes that referenced uh, selling out, and they're like, oh, there's John Singleton selling out, and, and like I said in Contreras Corner. I've seen one other movie of his and it felt a little more like it was a movie that was uh, more concerned with social commentary and
0: just. Dude, you need to see Boys in the Hood.
1: Which is, would you say that's closer to Four Brothers or closer to what I was describing?
0: Uh, 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 Yeah, it's it's it is not closer to Four Brothers.
1: Okay, (laughs) because see, that's so that's my my. My feeling about John Sittleton, but not, you know, I can't support it because I also, I know he did Shaft, and Shaft seems like one of those prime examples of Hollywood merchandising, right? Like they took something that was kind of like a cult and they put Samuel Jackson on it and got a, a hot upcoming director to direct it. And, and I never watched it, so I couldn't tell you like what it's like, but it, it also felt. I remember hearing about it. I was like, "Oh, I thought John Singleton was more of an auteur, and and now he's making like Hollywood movies, and that's not like good or bad. It's just you know not what I thought he was going to do." And then you know he does something like Four Brothers, which is it feels to me like very much like a Hollywood movie. So I understand why some critics would say, "Oh, he was selling out," but I really, I can't have an opinion on it one way or another because I'm not familiar with most of his filmography so i'm sorry john singleton fans if you were hoping uh, that there would be a lot of like singleton discussion but at least on my end i i am not familiar enough with his work to really analyze how four brothers fits in that filmography i can say that i agree it's it's shot well but i don't think if i didn't know john singleton's name from it being part of you know pop culture and film history and, and so on film you know recent film history uh I don't know that I would walk away from this movie thinking, oh, this is a director that I need to follow. Do you disagree? with me? Mean, do you have a, a, a bigger... Does the filmmaking make a bigger impression on you? Like, aside from the cast, right? Like, I, I know, and I agree with you, that the cast definitely, as the years have gone by, make become an even bigger factor in how this movie plays. But, but as far as, like, the person that made this movie, does it strike you as, like, oh, this is a filmmaker I need to follow? Or does it strike you as, like, somebody that came to bat they said, make this movie, and he made it. And it was like, he made it really well, but that's kind of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he only did one other movie after this, and it was the aforementioned Abduction starring Taylor Lautner, Lily Collins, Alfred Molina, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> uh, oh, and has- also, I should revise what I said, because a lot of movies are still shot well. Uh, it just has that wholly unique action movie from the mid to late nineties and the early two thousands, like those angled shots and the way characters enter frame and shit. It's, it just looks really good and puts you in a time period. How Um, do you feel
1: about the, every time that they see that vision of their mother,
0: more tattoos, angel,
1: you don't have to hide them. Look at mine. Um, Cause that's the part where I was like, I don't know if this works, and I'm like, I guess maybe it works in the, in the aesthetic of, you know, it referencing kind of like a, a, a way to make movies that we don't really follow that much anymore. Like if if you see it in a contemporary movie, like a movie made today, that feels like a little too much, you know. Each of them get this this close up, and then you cut to, to their mom, like a vision of their mom talking to them, and. Like, that feels like it belongs to a different decade of filmmaking. At least that's how it felt to me.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things of, like, those specific moments in the movie are clearly made for, like, mass audiences that aren't you and I. And especially me of, like, you know, the things I love about this movie. I don't even know how you feel about this movie yet. But to me, it kind of, like, makes it overly cheesy. And especially in a movie where it's just like constantly dudes getting gunned down in cold blood. It's kind of like, uh, OK, I mean, I understand you're trying to make this a bit more accessible to different people in the audience. And that's a, a fair play. Uh, but for me personally, I, I I kind of. So like, here's here's what I would do. The Thanksgiving scene is. We recently talked about Bones and all and the complete nuclear destruction of subtlety in modern cinema (laughs) and this is an example of something that could benefit from subtlety so they're at the thanksgiving dinner and it's kind of quiet and we get kind of slow shots of each of them looking over to her chair Mm -hmm. and kind of you know clearly like reflective and pensive but instead you know each of them have their own like personal moment of interaction which uh, could be kind of cute or like a stout. Okay, no, you could even do this. You do like they all have their moments where they look at the chair, and then there's flashbacks to when they were kids and like memories they have with their mom. But having her there as like a ghost is just that's like fucking Christmas Carol shit. Uh, you know, I I don't need that in my my bloodthirsty movie in which of four is wearing a mink coat and yelling at people.
1: <laughs> it really feels out of disconnected it's connected from from a movie where uh garrett Hedlund gets such a horrendous death
0: yeah and that that is like the way he i I keep saying sell because i just i'm so fucking wrestling brained. i can't i I did the grin last night and we talked for three hours afterwards so like that's all that's in my brain but uh (laughs) it's so much more intense than you see in movies like this, like the terror and like in his face and how he's like so scared. Usually guys like go out defiantly dying in movies like this. of Ah, fuck, you know? And in this, he's like screaming for help uh, mm-hmm. from his older brother. And, you know, the look of like, he's like crying when they find him and The a look of acceptance when he dies. It's, it's really, really uh, extreme for the scenario, for the, the, the tone of the movie.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that's, it's a good way to come into what might be my my big gripe or my my biggest talking point when it comes to the movie is that I I remember this from what, the first time I watched it too like I have a hard time wrapping my head around what kind of movie it is and I I feel like you you have an easier time with it even though you you agree with me that some of these things kind of like stand out as not belonging in the same movie because when I think of a movie. That is about four brothers, four four adopted brothers, whose adopted mother gets gunned down, and then they go on revenge. They go on a revenge path, right? Because they don't trust the police, so they have to take justice in their own hands. All that stuff. The movie that comes to mind is a lot darker <laughs> than this movie, yeah. and and sometimes this movie hits that level of darkness that I I think is kind of like baked in in the in the in the idea and, and Garrett Hedlund's death is one of those moments the way that uh Chewie plays the, the villain like I think that, that that can play into that like the violence that the that kind of stuff plays into it the constant banter between the brothers I'm not sure that it fits very well especially but I mean and I've said it before the show I know that grief is one of those wonderful things in movies that you can play a hundred different ways because people grieve differently. Grief hits you differently. And you may act uh, so widely out of character when you're grieving. And so you can justify it up to a point. You can say, like, this is how they grieve. They grieve by teasing each other. But it still feels like a little out of place in a movie that that has such a dark setup. And then you compound that with the visions of the mom... In uh, the and that's how the movie ends. Like the, the final shot of the movie, the the last movement of the story is Mark Wahlberg talking to the vision of his mom, and uh, that that Thanksgiving scene that you were referencing. Mark Wahlberg is the only one that doesn't get one of those, right? Like you, first you see Garrett Hedlund, then I think uh, Andrew Benjamin, and then Tyrese. They they each get a vision with the mom, but then Wahlberg doesn't get one, and so he gets up and he's like, "Let's go play hockey." So they save his to the end. <laughs> And, and then at the end, she's like, are you going to stay? And he said, yeah, I'm going to stay. Uh, I think so. I've been th- what is it? I've been thinking about it, Ma. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I, I I get why it's there. I get the purpose and how it's structured and all that stuff. But I just don't. It's not the movie I wanted. I guess that's, that's ultimately the, the, the big thing. Like The way this movie starts, it promised me. It made me think that I was going to get a movie that was a lot more hard-hitting. I don't have a problem with the morality of it, which kind of surprised me. <laughs> I, I'm okay with... Uh, because because this movie has no bones about the fact that a well, lot of things that these people are terrible and they need to be stopped. And if the police is not going to do anything, well, then we are going to put a stop to them. And I, I saw a lot of critics' quotes that had issues with that. And, and we can talk about it. But, but that's not a problem. I, I think that as long as the movie has a consistent point of view and i think it does as far as like (laughs) what is correct and what is not correct what is right what's the right thing to do here then that I'm, i'm fine with that but tonally i i think that at times it has a little too much fun and it's not to say that i don't find it fun when they're quipping i i actually i really like their chemistry i think that the Honestly, there's another version of this movie that I probably would have enjoyed even better, and that is just a movie where these four guys, these four actors, come to town to grieve the loss of their mother. And there's no plot about them chasing their murderers or anything. It's just Tyrese, Mark Wahlberg. Where's the fun there? Just them hanging out. I had a lot of fun seeing them hanging out.
0: The, okay, well, th- you're I know that's saying not four brothers. Sa- oh, yeah, I was about to say you're also saying that. That's a movie with a, a radically different cast also.
1: No, but I think that this cast pulls it off. You you didn't you don't think do you think that you could not buy them in a movie that's not an action movie? Just the rapport they have?
0: Uh I'm not saying that. I obviously buy their chemistry and I buy their uh they do really good together. All four of them are excellent, but I'm I'm just saying like timetable. You can't make fucking uh Before Sunrise with these guys. Like it, it can't just be like <laughs> All, all serious and dialogue based, specifically. Oh my god! In-
1: but that, okay, Alex, forget about the the like the the financial side of it. Like, don't be a studio head; just be a, a movie lover. Wouldn't you love to see <laughs> that type of movie? Richard Linklater just gets these four guys together, and it's like four brothers twenty years later.
0: It's Tyrese Wahlberg, Garrett Hedlund, and fucking Andre Three Thousand, and it's fifteen minute takes of just improvised dialogue. You know. <laughs> Oh, man, it'd be a hell of a time. And then <laughs> Sofia Vergara is just in the background. Yes. like That's just like her <laughs> contribution to the scene. I understand what you're saying. I, I just enjoy this movie so much that it kind of my immediate defense is like, well, I don't want to change what I like. Mm-hmm. And we We're just talking about the stuff, the flashbacks, not flashbacks, but like the, the ghost of the mom haunting them. And um, th- there are some things that change that entire like side quest where they go to the basketball game obviously leads to something but it feels also very out of place because they go into a public event and mark Wahlberg pulls a gun on them yep and like it's those people aren't bad people they're not the bad guys or gals that were hunting like i said it leads to his his break if he, he gets a name and whatnot but that whole thing seems very well, it was. That was the scene that was shot for trailers. You know what I mean? Of Because like, yeah. it was definitely still in the era of that mattering of movies. Of we got to have the big shot. And so Mark Wahlberg going into a, a gym and stealing the basketball and holding the entire stadium hostage that, you know, that's the teaser. And so uh,
1: dribbling for a few seconds before pulling the gun out.
0: Oh, yeah, he does. Because he's talking <laughs> mad shit. He's like, I got the rock now or whatever he says. It's
1: <laughs> That scene. Pushes the limits, I think, of uh, of what I was willing to buy as far as the reality of this movie. And I, I mean, it, it eventually you're like, whatever, this is happening in, in some sort of town where the police presence is non-existent unless you need them to come back to a crime scene after everything has settled. But yeah. the... <laughs> like when Tyrese and Sofia Vergara are running from her ex-boyfriend or current boyfriend that he's just shooting at them and there is just no repercussions about that I mean I get it you know that's like it's that type of movie but it was still it, it was kind of like jolting uh, because again you know you you open with, with something that I guess feels so real this this poor woman getting gunned down in, a, in a, what seems to be a robbery at first that when you get into the the sillier aspects of the movie they they kind of take you out of it
0: Terrence Howard here is what we know to be Terrence Howard (laughs) and watching it in 2023 almost feels like he's just trying to be as Terrence Howard as he possibly can. Maybe he was like just way ahead of the curve. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. People are going to love it. And, you know, people are going to parody it, but they're never going to forget me. Uh, But I did not remember that he dies halfway through the movie or about halfway and to me his death in this is more shocking than one of the brothers dying because there's four of them it's just, it's bound to happen but terrence howard just getting gunned down and also just like so easily is pretty it's shocking
1: so dumb though he oh, basically it's very his dumb back on yeah on, yeah
0: <laughs> on a cop so he knows he's armed <laughs> and he knows he's crooked but he's just like assuming that he's not going to shoot him And then, of course, how'd that work out for you, brother? Um, (laughs) It's still not as dumb as Mark Wahlberg being airdropped onto Lake St. Clair. (laughs) But airdropped far enough away that he gets, like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of walking in.
1: He had to warm up for the big fight.
0: Like, how... Again, I really like this movie. And and we'll be rewatching it come Thanksgiving here in two months. But... How dumb of a shot is that? There is nothing around them. It's established. It took them like an hour to get driven out there. And then, like, it just cuts to this big, wide shot of him walking up. Like, it's that's (laughs) tantamount. Like, they present it as though it's tantamount to like you waiting for me in the lobby of the draft house and you see me walking in from the parking lot.
1: (laughs) It is really dumb. But it's also, if you're with the movie, and I kind of was. Uh, you know in this particular scene it, it's pretty awesome it's it's a great entrance right and it's a great answer to the question who is going to kill Chewie <laughs> who, who has the <laughs> balls to do it there's the answer that shot uh let's see that's a positive right like I had my nitpicking throughout the, the story with the plot and I had my issues with the with the tone but when it gets to the end I am all in. I want them to win. I am happy when Andrew Benjamin reveals that he's not an idiot. Well, the, the build up to that, that meeting. I'm like, is he really that dumb? Is he really? Is the movie telling you that the family man is just so blinded by what he thinks is right that he doesn't realize that he is just offering himself up to the bad guys? And then it turns out, no, he had a plan and he he had a. In the world of this movie, he had a half decent plan, which is (laughs) I'm not going to buy you. I'm going to buy your workers, which we know because we've been shown that you've been mistreating through the entire movie. So I I thought that was smart. So I I fist pumped in and then Marky Mark showed up and I'm like, yeah, do it. (laughs) That was the moment that I think I cheered the most for, uh, you know, for him, uh, which takes me to to the kind of like the original, the crux of this. This enterprise, which is the the Mark Wahlberg effect, the the, the Mark Wahlberg element. Um, I was so
0: entranced with everyone else in this movie but him that I didn't even think to think of uh, where he would have been at this point in time. He's he's fucking Mark Wahlberg. That's the whole. <laughs> we've talked about him a lot on here, and that's aside from Boogie Nights and the Departed, Pain and Gain, and the Departed. He's just Mark Wahlberg and everything else, you know what I mean?
1: I listened to our Pain and Gain episode um uh, in preparation for this conversation because I finished Four Brothers and I was like, I don't think I have anything else to say about Mark Wahlberg that I probably haven't said when we did uh Three Kings and when we did Pain and Gain. I, I That's don't fair. I don't think like he can carry a movie, he can lead a movie, he can open a movie. He is, you know, what those quotes were saying about this movie about four brothers. I think that that reflects how I feel about Mark Wahlberg, which is uh, unremarkable, but that's okay. That's coming from somebody who's obviously not into like what he does. I think that if you are into his his big action persona, then obviously he's more than that. He's that he, being
0: said, though, and to to recap or read, you know, constitute some of our previous views. He's awesome in The Departed, and he's awesome in Pain and Gain.
1: He is amazing in The Departed. The Departed is so good at just taking Mark Wahlberg, and (laughs) I don't know. It's like they found the right right key to just – and maybe, I don't know if he would have sustained that for an entire movie, but the fact that he just comes in from time to time – Absolutely kills it with the attitude, the look, the posture, the way he delivers the lines. Everything is great about that character, and then he gets like the final moment in the movie on top of everything. Like that's that's great. I don't know. I mean, th- that is the perfect storm, Alex. Not the, not the George Clooney movie. <laughs> it's what Scorsese did in The Departed with Mark Wahlberg was the perfect storm. I, I can't explain it, you know, but I know that in every other movie, including because I was I was less enthused about his performance in Pain and Gain. I think that it's it's good. You know, it's like it does what it needs to be done and and it does something that it's not like every actor could have done that. You know, it's like you have the physical aspect of it, and then you have just kind of like the willingness to to lean into something that is part of your public persona, I guess, if you're Mark Warwick. So that's that's good too. I mean it's but my feeling when I see most more Wilbur movies is always, man, wouldn't this be better if there was some more interesting actor doing it? And that's how I feel <laughs> about the <War> Brothers.
0: <laughs> Do you have someone on the top of your head?
1: Anybody. It, it, I mean, I'm not going to go to Fassbender because that's obviously my answer for everything, but, but that's anybody. Our go-to. You know, uh, Kevin Smith always talks about how he he believes that ben affleck can play anything so just in the spirit of that like put ben affleck as the as the older brother here and instantly a more interesting movie it, it most most actors i think just because i find that they they have uh i guess more charisma than than mark wolver i just don't find him charismatic and what so, about matt dylan sure why not i mean that, that that's a bigger it's a to sell <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but I, at least i'll be like I,
1: I haven't seen Mark dylan play this character before i have seen mark Wahlberg play this character before like in trailers <laughs> even you know there's not a whole lot to it he's just like oh he's the badass right like he's a out of the forum he's the, the tough one. man if you had a younger mark Wahlberg playing the garrett Headland character now you got my attention i'm like all right that's he's playing against type but this this idea of mark Wahlberg. i mean that's the mark Wahlberg i've been seeing in movies for decades now and there's nothing about it that that i find compelling that 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 tickles my imagination it doesn't mean it doesn't do the job i mean i buy everything he does in this movie and i i believe that he's a badass i believe that he doesn't take shit from anybody and and i i find him very capable of taking care of business but man i mean he's it, it's an ensemble piece, but in the end, he is the lead, and I I find him the least interesting. He's he's the one brother that's really bland. Like all the other ones, like Tyrese has obviously some serious issues with his sex life. Uh, Andrew Benjamin is it the, the older one, the one that's trying to keep things together like, uh, as an adult, and then the other one, uh, Gary Hedlund is, is the young one. And so all three of them are a lot more colorful and, and just a lot more fun to watch than than Wahlberg, who's just there to like be tough so that's you I know. think
0: I think that's absolutely accurate and I also think that makes it the movie does a good job of actually giving the other three shit to do uh, at no point to me does it feel like Mark Wahlberg dominates this movie because at least Andre Benjamin and Tyrese and even Garrett Hedlund to a point have other shit going on. I mean, Garrett Hedlund's kind of like the, the puppy of he's the run to the litter that kind of follows them around everywhere. But, you know, we, we have females in the life of Andre and Tyrese. So this see it, like an easy way for this movie to suck and lose me is if we're only following Mark Wahlberg, but he has these three other brothers yeah. because you're right. He's, he's just GI Joe out there. You know, he's I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> I'm gonna avenge my mother and uh, it's <laughs> so i appreciate that his the role of uh, bobby is bobby his name i think the, so. the role of bobby is the most limited of the brothers angel jeremiah and jack actually have like some shit to their character
1: it's, the it's, it's not a, just a boo-boo somebody put their fist
0: in your eye let me Come see on, it now. are you okay yeah, oh right. my god you're bleeding baby you know i could take a punch But I I guess I am going to take a stand in the sense of it doesn't become the Mark Wahlberg show at any point. And I think there's some fine line walking here of he's clearly the star top build. It's a Mark Wahlberg movie. We're going to go see the new Mark Wahlberg movie, but he does not dominate the story at any point. Uh, and I kind of like that. If it, it feels like fairly balanced amongst the others, even though the premise of this is about as tight as a clump of cotton candy, <laughs> and so I'm not going to act like this movie is like perfect storytelling. But the 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 W's I will take are that. And Andre Benjamin, okay, here we go. Let's talk about Andre Andre 3000. Um, he's he's okay in this. I, I really like his scene where he's like, "I paid her bills. You guys were never fucking around." Like that thing. Mm-hmm. But other portions of this, he seems very wet behind the ears. Really? And
1: oh, let's let's have another disagreement, Alex, because I think he's the best out of the four.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Because my thing was going to be because we were both extremely complimentary of him in semi-pro. Mm-hmm. It I kind of felt like this was a, a his running start, and then you know he kind of. Got some polish on him over the next couple Years and then gave us the role of coffee Black sugar dunkerton I'm trying to remember All the names that he had there but okay Garrett Headland is Greener than goose shit And yes. uh Tyrese is Ty- <laughs> Tyrese is Tyrese when, when Death sentence was Four years after this I thought it was I two mean, years after Was it 07th I thought so. You might be right. But while I look that up, hit me with the... Chat me up your thoughts on Andre Andrew Benjamin?
1: Well, I think that maybe it, he just benefits from being... You were being, right,
0: by the way. It was 07. Good call.
1: Man, he, he really grew up in those two years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, adapt or die. Uh,
1: I think that maybe he benefits from being the brother that's not posturing, at least in my eyes. So... It's a lot easier to relate to him, at least for me. It, he's the guy that's saying, Hey, I know this is an action movie, but maybe it doesn't need to be. <laughs> so he's constantly trying to talk sense to these guys who are just very hot headed and really ready to just grab the guns and go asking for answers in all the wrong places. And he's just like, Hey, I'm going to go back to my family. Hey, mom would probably would have forgiven these people that killed her because. <laughs> She knows what the environment is like, and so already from the start, he he's a, a more unique character with a very specific point of view. The way that he talks, I think, is very. He doesn't come across as a character like Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg comes across as a character. Tyree comes across as a character, oh, yeah. but but that's fine because I I also believe that them you know they they have to project that. That's how they they survive, right? They they have to project that they're big men and their action man and, and whereas Andrew Benjamin he's the guy that settled he's left that life so it makes sense that he would sound different and And I think he nails it I think that maybe where he is at a disadvantage is that because the movie wants us to maybe consider that he may not be what what he's supposed to be that maybe he's he's a bad guy there's big chunks of the movie where they just write him off and we don't know where mm-hmm. he is and that sucks right because i would rather see what else was going on with his character i would like to see him be part of the investigation the way that the other three brothers are part of the investigation but whenever he comes in i buy him i i I found that he was the one that felt the most naturalistic out of all the you know the four brothers and even his reactions to the background i mean all four of them are actually really good i think at uh, that chemistry we we're talking about, right? Where you believe that they're just having fun whenever there's two of them getting into it, and the other two are in the background laughing or just watching their brothers <laughs> fight. That's uh, it's very believable. So no, I, I I bought him. I I think that he he puts on the best performance out of the four. And then as much as I like some of the things that Garrett Hedlund does in this movie. I think that he also has some of the weakest moments. Is that what you were going for when you said that he was really green, or or do you think that he's overall good? Just obviously inexperienced compared to the other three.
0: And I, yeah, I can't say that he's like in there with Titans because it's Mark Wahlberg, Tyrese, and Andre Benjamin. Who two of those guys would have been fairly inexperienced at that point. It's just some of his emoting and reacting to some shit mm-hmm. throughout this. the range of return is so wide. I talked about when he gets shot and the way he sells like his death is very engaging from like a realistic perspective of how scared and, you know, realizing he's going to die. It is as opposed to what you typically see in like action, big loud movies like this. But then some of the other stuff when he's got his internal thoughts going about, you know, seeing the ghost of his mom and, uh, He's trying really hard to cry In some parts that like Hey brother Shit worked out for him And he's also you know a, If I can take a moment to One time talk positively About Inside and Davis And everyone in that movie <laughs> I will but <laughs> And uh, I'm not, this is definitely not me saying I could do any better, but it was just one of those things of like, I think this was a tall task for him. Uh, but what we learned though, especially just looking at it in real time here about death sentence wasn't too far behind this. And it, it, he seems like a different actor in that movie. So yep. he's clearly someone who has the the skills. It's just like, you know, baptism by fire, you know?
1: Yeah. I was blown away when I saw how close together they were, those two movies. And uh, it made me so happy that we'd done that sentence because otherwise I wouldn't have that reference. Uh, I think I mentioned that sentence that Garrett Hedlund, I always thought Troy, he's uh, Achilles' friend, Brad Pitt's friend in Troy. And and then, you know, Lewin Davis would come later, and more recently Mudbound. I know he's been in other Tron. things. Tron, he's,
0: he's the lead in Tron, right? I haven't seen
1: Tron, but yes, you're right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he he has a career. He's, he's a solid actor now, and... But there is, I mean, it's night and day if you see him here and then you see him in that sentence. And it's not necessarily about the quality of the acting because, like I said, I mean, I think that for the most part, he's really good here. It's just that he has those moments where you're like, oh, he's he's green, right? Yeah. And then in that sentence, you wouldn't think that at all. <laughs> he comes in with such confidence. And I don't think that he hits a single weak note in that in that movie.
0: And did the and T- Davis tangent he has one of the most memorable roles in that movie because everyone in that movie is kind of a dick or is too nice and naive, but everyone has a lot of dialogue. He's in that whole stretch with uh, John Goodman and John Goodman just, just won't shut the fuck up the entire time. (laughs) And Garrett Hedlund's there and has, you know, four or five lines of dialogue, but like his physical presence. And um, obviously I love that movie more than, you know, 10 out of 10 people you'll find on the street but when i think of that and him and that i can vividly like just picture his character and the stoicness of it and so he's a guy that he figured it out quick because even that you want to make that comparison that's less than 10 years removed from this and you know well, there's plenty of actors that didn't evolve or uh grow that much in 20 years let alone 10 i mean we're talking about mark Wahlberg for christ's sake so uh yeah, you're already
1: plateaued.
0: <laughs> I know you're not going to tell me what I want to know, so I'm going to light your little bitch ass on fire. Then I'm going to watch you run around here like a chicken with his head cut off, lighting all your little friends on fire. Is that what you want?
1: So let's... Uh, I don't think we're going to go too deep into this because there's really not a whole lot to go into it, but it, but it is worth calling out. And I, I mentioned it earlier, just, uh, you know, there's there's critics that have problems with the moral stance that this movie takes, Uh, you know, you can read it as it's a pro vigilante movie. And I I think that that probably is taking this movie too seriously. I I anticipate that that's going to be your response. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're overthinking for brothers, but (laughs) it is that right. Like I'm not misreading the movie. That's when it comes down to it. This movie is just basically telling you, look, it's okay to take justice in your own hands. Sometimes.
0: You know, it's uh, Charles Bronson, those Death Wish movies and like Grindhouse movies of that ilk. That's what this is, but it has an A-list cast and it was a paramount picture. They released it, promoted it. It was a summer release, made $100 million almost. Those are movies people pay attention to. And then they're more inclined to be like, well, I don't know about this. I don't know. You know, the... This isn't the right message, but like Death Wish and movies like that and all the 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 straight to VHS movies of the 90s that were like this. No one gives a shit about that. And that's the thing of this is, I mean, people give a shit, but you know what I mean? Like critics aren't mm-hmm. going like to go out of their way. All right. Here's the point. There are so many movies just like Four Brothers. They took all that he had. He had to fight for himself. I mean, it's the story of Max Payne, the video game. And eventually Mark Wahlberg would make a really shitty movie with disgraced <laughs> actress Mila Kunis about Max Payne. But <laughs> in this case, it comes from how much notoriety is it getting? How much money is it going to make? Is a major studio releasing it? And that's Tree in the Woods. And so I appreciate the thought of like, Hey, man, this is maybe sending a bad message, um, but I've also just seen so many movies of the exact same that no one ever said boo about. Do I personally think the message is bad? No, because I lump it in with those movies that is that are dumb time at the movies. Uh, if we wanted to play devil's advocate, we definitely could. There is an interesting perspective to this of like it's racially mixed. Mm-hmm. in the sense of these cops are beating both you know the white guy and the black guy they're not they're not helping the white guy or the black guy and so i don't know if that was intentional it may have been to kind of deflect Dude, from it's too
1: symmetrical not to be intentional and uh, i i don't want to like i want to finish one point before we fuck it, let's do it right now. Because I don't think that there's a whole lot that either of us can say about it, but just because it's there. I brought it up in conservative Corner as a positive. I, I, I honestly, I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. I I know that it's right there, you know, you have two white brothers, two black brothers, the the cops, one is black, one is uh, white. The The bad guys, you know, the, the main bad guy is black, but also, you know, Josh Charles doubles up as You know, he's not just a white cop. He's also a white bad guy. I feel like... And it's not
0: also like Chewie's gang isn't all black guys, you know? Right,
1: right. I just don't know if that makes a movie, going back to just that word, you know, interesting. Is is it more interesting to basically make a movie that just flattens the curve when it comes to, to race? Or is it more interesting to make a movie that digs into what makes the difference between, you know, black people and white people, black communities, white communities. You know, is it more interesting that uh, if the police is corrupt a certain way with the white community and a certain way with the black community? Or, or is it just more interesting if you don't concern yourself with that and just make a story about, like, the police are corrupt? And and I know that in the end, it's just, it has to do with what do you want your movie to say? And, and this is, I think, how we tie it into the morality of Vigilantes. It's like, if John Singleton is just making a movie that's about, you know, good guys and bad guys and the good guys prevailing, no matter what. And if that means that they have to bend or break the rules and so be it, then, then there's really no room for, you know, the exploration of racial dynamics and so on. I mean, there could be, but then that would make it more of a highbrow movie. And I think that what he wanted to do was just, you know, have fun with with an action movie. And he can still bring diversity to the cast and that's cool. But in the end, it's just like a very simplified version of of, of this story. It could be told in a much more complex way, but then that's not... I guess where I land is that I can't say that it's a failing of the movie because the movie wasn't even interested in going there. The movie was just like, no, we're going to tell this story about you know, good guys, bad guys, revenge. And uh, (laughs) yes, they're going to be all white or all black, but that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily have to say anything about why they're black or why they're white.
0: Which, obviously, with the raised tensions of today it's not that easy and i know this movie's not even 20 years old but you couldn't make this movie today and not expect some kind of like you're making this way too like way oversimplifying it and you know i always talk about like wanting easier dumb movies but it's just not it hasn't been two decades but it's no longer a time where movies like this are that easy to make you know what i mean like it, it, there's there's more to it
1: i think it's Something that works for the movie is that John Singleton directed it and he already had established himself with other movies that address race more directly. So you can watch this and be like, "Okay, so this is him just kind of chilling and taking a step back. Uh, If you had some unknown white director maybe putting out this movie, then there'll be more criticism. You're like, "Okay, who does this guy think he is? (laughs) Or <laughs> why doesn't this guy dig deeper? He because he just can't. Now my, I think that the reason why I I, I thought about the, the the idea of vigilantes and whether there's a problem with it or not is just because when we did that sentence, I felt that that movie dropped the ball. But that's because that movie actually poses the question, right? Like that movie turns. Kevin Bacon into a vigilante and has a character that questions that. And there's, it looks like it's trying to start a conversation about it. And then at the end, it just doesn't really want to take any sides. Like this movie has that doesn't have that problem. And I actually prefer that because this movie at least commits. This movie says, yes, they're vigilantes and yes, they're doing the right thing. There's no, (laughs) there's no question. Like the movie has this set of beliefs and I mean, you can disagree with them, but at least the movie is telling you what, how, how it feels about it.
0: I was going to say I never actually answered your question and our thoughts are pretty much in line because my thought is there's not the moral quandary here that there is in death sentence because it's like even the cop that tells them, you know, don't get too close to the fire. You don't know what you're doing. Leave this to the professionals immediately is put into like his own mini movie about the cops (laughs) that turns on him and stuff. So it's like the the whole movie is just ridiculous. And like I said, at no point with the literally like secondary, uh and I don't mean that as in backup, I mean that as in like measurement of time, reaction of Andre Benjamin after he murders that guy with the butcher knife <laughs> having like a second of remorse. That's it as far as moral <laughs> uh anguish or uh internal debate goes as far as you know the the motives of these characters because then two seconds later he runs over a guy with his car. And so um
1: yeah there's no nobody ever has a moment of pause about the fact that they they murdered Chewie and threw him down a, an ice hole and that's it
0: <laughs> they do yeah Andre Benjamin kills that guy and has the what have I become but if you blink you'll literally miss it and then by the end of the movie he's like yeah throw that motherfucker in the hole man <laughs> get him Jerry try it one more time what you going to do You'll see. Big ass teeth. Bite me.
1: All right. Well, what is what is your score, Alex? Hmm.
0: So I really enjoy this. I remembered enjoying it. I enjoyed it upon rewatch. None of that was diminished. It wasn't a movie that I watched and it like blew my mind upon rewatch or anything. But it's a lot of fun. Like I said, I will be watching it on uh, this will probably be. Is this how you end Thanksgiving? Maybe Rocky would be the the one to play at the end of the night, but it'll be on in the background at some point on Thanksgiving. I'll I'll officially add it to the lineup. Uh, So uh, teetering right on a a B and a C, I'm going to say B minus because there is some stuff in this I think is excellent, uh, which would, uh, when I log this on Letterboxd, probably three and a half stars is where I'll go. Uh, So yeah, I'll stick with a B minus for Four Brothers.
1: Uh, three and a half is also where I'm gonna go. That that seems right. It's just kind of like right down the middle with all the stuff that I like. <laughs> I mean, if it's not any higher, it's just because there's a lot of stuff that I just either don't find as as amusing or just I don't think it works. But overall, it's, it is a fun movie. I would just tell anybody, oh yeah, watch Four Brothers at least once. It's a good time. Uh, so. B minus three and a half. I think that that is overall a, a solid recommend from the Contrarians. And Sachin, hopefully, whether you agree or disagree with us, at least, hopefully, you had a good time hearing us discuss the movie. Yeah. But thank you for being a patron. Thank you for, for the demand.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your continued support and bringing this to our desk. And uh, it is forever entered into Contrarians canon. So, Julio, that was four brothers. What is on deck next?
1: Alex? This is it. The patron takeover comes to an end. The final installment. We're about to to wrestle control of our podcast back into our own hands. But not before we address one final demand. This is from Robert Stewart, also known as Stu. Stu, who was with us man, how long ago was it? Whenever we did the it was in the middle of the French travaganza. He came for the Romeo Michel
0: episode of stew world order Oh, stew world, world order
1: yes swo productions stew said guys you're always talking about zack snyder his best is obviously his dawn of the dead remake how about you do the original dawn of the dead he didn't say any of that he just said dawn of the dead
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right that's what's next patrons Thank you so much for your continued support. This has been an absolute blast. And uh, honestly, just we'll we'll, uh, reflect upon it in the next episode. But this has been a tremendous undertaking. In the meantime, though, let's go and get you all out of here. We've talked about four brothers, I'd argue, probably as long as anyone else on the Internet. So (laughs) bring it home. Uh, We're going to move into our perennial plugs, and we'll start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years. They provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo. He's the guy that designed that little tomato looking at himself in the mirror. So if you like that, let Hans know. You can reach him on Twitter or X at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com or you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe where he lists all his other work he's a writer, so he has a bunch of fantasy novels that he's written he's also a podcaster he has a podcast about Peruvian career affairs called Nación Combi and a podcast about economy called Marginal. It's a renaissance man, man of all trades, as mm-hmm. they say. So thank you, Hans, for all your support.
0: Latenightgrin.com, the boys over there. I had our monthly Grin Grappler show last night when we discussed the catalog and career of one Bam Bam Bigelow. Scott Bigelow from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, visually one of the most memorable wrestlers of all time and cinematically had a Bit part in uh, major pain so he was also in the, the world of film if you are a fan of pro wrestling be sure to check out their show they're one of the best in the game and they'll keep you apprised on all the recent goings-on and happenings uh, but late night grin.com late night grin on twitter joe matt oracle rob the whole gang's there and our gang our social media gang zoe perez corey Ari, corey my god man a machine continues to churn out our videos Uh, on our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. And also, uh, we've been posting shorts on our Instagram account, at Contrarian Prime on Instagram. Uh, The work Corey's been doing for us has been just superb. Uh, Our quick video reviews that have been coming out uh, recently on Martin and Bones and all as well. You can find those on our YouTube account, free of charge. If you do go there, subscribe. Boost our signal, promote the algorithm, whatever expression I can use. Just help some more people see what it is we do here. Uh, But Zoe, also the help she's given us from the start, be it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. They got you covered, and we appreciate the work that they do for us. Most of all, we appreciate you, the listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time.